Hello, and welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. I'm your host, Troy Scarborough. I'm an entrepreneur who has started, acquired, and more importantly, is focused on growing companies. In this podcast, you'll hear from entrepreneurs about how they got their start, what their company is about, what has worked for them to get to this point, and how they plan to build their brands. Expect to find actionable tactics that you can use to grow your business and get motivated to get through the grind into a meaningful entrepreneurial outcome that will change your life. I'm thrilled to have you here. Be sure to follow us on YouTube and Instagram at Tap Market, and let me know if you've been listening to the podcast. I love connecting and hearing from you. All right, let's get to it. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Tap Market Podcast. This is Troy. Today, we've got Chad McGilsey. Chad, thank you for joining me today. This is an exciting opportunity because you're the first person I've interviewed that's actually exited their seven-figure brand. And I'm really looking forward to hearing your story and what's worked with you in building your business prior to selling it. And then you've got some exciting stuff that you're working on now. But I'll let you jump in, say hello, and tell us who you are and what's got you here. Sure. Thanks for having me on, Troy. I appreciate it. Yeah, my name's Chad McGilsey. I had a seven-figure dog products company. It was called Pets or Kids 2 that I built from scratch based around my two dogs, Brock and Beast. And it was kind of organically grown out of that. Built the company from nothing to a seven-figure brand and had an exit about two and a half years um, from the time of my first sale. And now I do both group coaching in a a mentorship group called The 1%. I coach the growth mastermind there. And I also have a dog brand specific coaching business called Some Dog Millionaires, which is about teaching people who want to build dog brands how to either start or scale their existing brand up to a seven or multi seven figure brand and then have an exit and go into investing or start their next brand or whatever they want to do. So yeah, my, my journey had been from... I was in a career I, I didn't like, heard podcasts like this with just other real people who have had a successful business that they started, got inspired, made mistakes along the way, all that stuff, but built my business to a point where I could sell it for a meaningful number, then had my exit. And, and now I get to enjoy you know helping other people do the same thing and seeing that kind of next group of entrepreneurs bring new, innovative ideas to the market and serve hyper-specific niches within a, an overall market. It's, it's a, a lot of fun kind of getting to sit in that creative seat now. So you had two dogs. Still have. They sort of inspired you here. Is that really how you, you got started in it? What was the push to go from job to entrepreneur? And were you sort of doing both at the same time as you got started in your building your business? Yeah. So my dogs were the push to make the brands pet brands. I knew I wanted to get into some sort of entrepreneurship and probably an e-commerce business. You know, like a lot of entrepreneurs, my first taste was I read the four hour work week and went, oh, holy crap, I don't have to do this nine to five for 50 years nonsense. I mean, that book's like an oldie, but a goodie. You've got to read it if you haven't. But then that kind of got me inspired. Some algorithm got me where I got on either YouTube videos or, or podcasts were recommended. There's a guy, um, his name was Kevin Reiser, that had the Private Label podcast that was just full of great success stories from all different types of people. So I got into that. I found Ryan Moran's content. I now do some coaching for him and his 1% group, You know, all about building an e-commerce business around serving a particular group of people. So I knew I wanted to do that. And then how it got to be about my dogs, as weird or funny as this may sound, is I have two French bulldogs. And if you have a French bulldog, you know, like they're, in my very biased opinion, like the cutest 
creatures alive, but they're gross as hell. They smell, they burp, <laughs> they have terrible breath. So my dog, I'm watching TV. You know, one of my dogs is cuddling on, on my chest and his breath is just terrible. So that was the inspiration for my first product is I wanted like a dental product for dogs. And I started looking into what was available on Amazon and whatever. And there weren't, in my opinion, a lot of good options. There were options that had ingredients that I didn't think were safe. So I, I went to market with a differentiated version um, of a product that had safe ingredients and things of that nature. And that's an important point. When you're going to market with a product as a new entrepreneur, you need to be really clear on who you're serving, who your product is for, but also what is different about your product and why does that difference matter specifically to your person? So, you know, my thing was, okay, I have a different ingredient profile. Okay, but why does that matter? Oh, it's because the ingredients in this other product that are out there have studies that show that this is detrimental to a dog's health over time. So if you're going to market, whether it's a dog product or any product, be able to clearly communicate why your product is different, not just better, but different, and why that difference matters to your ideal customer. And how did you capture that initial audience? A lot of the people that listen to this podcast are going to be in that early grind phase, and they're going to be wondering, getting from zero to the first $10,000 a month, what was the key tactic that you used early on, because I'm imagining it was slightly different than later on to get from 10000 a month to $100,000 a month right. that you did to get that first product to market. So at the risk of oversimplifying it, you build an audience and launch the products to that audience. So my audience at the time was a Facebook group. It was a Facebook group called Pets or Kids 2. And it started as a fairly unbranded thing. I didn't start off salesy and product launchy. It was just for people who consider their pets part of their family. And I was like, hey, you know, we are the admittedly crazy people that literally think our pets are our kids. You know, if you have your dog in a doghouse in the backyard, you're not welcome in this Facebook group. We're not for you. We're for the crazy people like us. And made it an exclusive kind of group and intentionally kind of called out who we're not, not to be mean to those people, but like, you know, hey, if you think, a dog's just a dog. And if you're the kind of person who doesn't let your dog on your couch or your bed, we're not for you. You know, we don't dislike you, but this isn't the place for you. We're the crazy people that talk in dog voices and all this stuff. And you kind of really call out who your audience is and who they're not, create a group of those people, and then launch products to that group. Now we have a little more sophisticated thing. Like in the 1%, we teach, and I teach this in my Some Dog Millionaires with my one-on-one clients too. We teach the traffic triangle. And this is from Ryan Moran, who came up with this idea. You have the Facebook group, you have an email list, and you have a traffic source. And in each part of the triangle, you know, you're talking about different things that are happening in the other part of the triangle. So in your Facebook group, you're highlighting some of the best of your email list and, and vice versa. But the idea still remains like you build an audience and then you launch products to that audience. Something that I was really big on and I still am big on is while you're building your business, I like the idea of capitalism mixed with charity. Have a cause that you support that aligns with your brand. My most successful product launches were when, and I wouldn't lose money on this, I'd, I'd break even, but I, I'd say, hey, we are not just supporting this charity, but make it hyper-specific. So in, in my brand's case, we did fundraisers for individual dogs with cancer. So basically like a GoFundMe account, but for dogs with cancer. So we'd say, hey, we are trying to fund this dog's 
cancer surgery, they need to get X amount before it can be funded, blah, 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 blah. So for the first 100 sales of our new product launch, we're not taking a dime. We're giving all profit to fund this dog's cancer surgery. So with our product launch, our mission is to fully fund this dog's surgery. Now, I didn't lose money on that because I'm not saying 100% of the sales, like including my costs, but whatever the profit that we would take all went there. I found that to be a great way to launch a product where it's, you're doing real good in the world. You're getting full price sales. You're not doing any of this Amazon black hat stuff, but people are, are buying your product. They love your mission. They're more likely to leave you five-star reviews because they believe in what you're doing and what you stand for. And you got to make great products, obviously. But that's one way to launch a product. And that's what I've found is a pretty successful way to do it that gets out of any of the uh, black hat stuff that you see going on sometimes. I like that. Some people have a misunderstanding about having to have a gigantic audience to launch to. Mm -hmm. I ask everybody this question. Do you remember how big the audience was in that Facebook group roughly when you launched your first product? Uh, I think about a thousand. I could be off on that. It was about 30,000 when I sold the company. But for first product launch, I think it was a thousand or possibly less. But yeah, you, you want to put in significant effort into building your audience. If you try to do a product launch to an audience of 100 people, it's unlikely to be successful unless they're hyper engaged people that are definitely going to buy your product. But if you can aim for 100 sales out of an audience, then you're, you're doing well. But yeah, my first audience at the start was probably about 1,000. And were you primarily selling on one sales channel? I know a lot of people try to take on too much and they're trying to do Shopify and Amazon. What was your focus? Most of my sales, at least to start, were on Amazon. I had a Shopify site set up, but I wasn't focused on it. Because like you said, you don't want to split your attention too much. I like the idea of focusing on one sales channel, get your first product up and selling consistently before moving on to product number two or a different sales channel. Now, the pet niche and why I like working with dog businesses so much is like Chewy is a very, very strong second sales channel that a lot of markets don't have a comparable business to. A lot of markets, it's like you're an Amazon brand or you're a Shopify brand. Like, yes, there's Walmart, but Walmart's not that great yet. You know, there's eBay, there's there's other things like that. But in the dog niche, cats too, but for me, I I work with dog people. In the dog niche, like Chewy.com is a very strong secondary market. And that can help, one, to diversify your sales. But when you go to exit, when you have a strong second market, you get a higher valuation because you're not an Amazon brand anymore. So that can be a a real benefit as well. So I, I sold on Amazon and Chewy. Between those two was 95% of my sales and then, you know 5% on, on my own Shopify site. That's interesting. We actually put out our products on Etsy as well for Force and Herald, our men's wallets, because we can get those people looking for those unique gifts. Yeah. We don't spend a lot of time or effort there overdoing PPC, but same idea. We can integrate it right into Shopify. So mm-hmm. the sales come in through there. It's easy to push them out, but it's just another sort of opportunity to acquire a customer profitably or break even. Right. And then we can try to put them back into our funnel. And it's not yet really a significant sales channel for us, but you know, a few trickle in every month and it's just another way to build the list. Yeah. And, and what you just said might, you know, if, if some of your listeners are, are newer to entrepreneurship might be missed, but you just had a gold mine there. Like 
if you can acquire customers profitably or even break even, you know, you've got a million dollar business in time. You know, because if you're just growing this customer list and then you can sell more to them on the back end, it's fantastic. That's the downside to like an Amazon is you don't get all the customer data. But if you're getting all the customer data through your own site and acquiring these customers at break even or better, you're off to the races because then you're building your list. You can launch more products to them through email list or text blasting services or things like that at very little cost to you. So that's a, a huge uh, benefit if you're able to do that through through Etsy or, or any other platform. I love the dog niche. It's kind of like the baby niche. People will tend to overpay because, it, well, dogs are kids too, right? Yeah. So it's like people will overpay for their pets and kids. And so there's inherently like a little bit more margin, I feel like sometimes in this space. And maybe I'm, maybe I'm misconstruing that a little bit. No, no, you're, you're, you're totally right. But here's why the dog niche is better than the baby niche you're a baby for a couple of years and then maybe the parents have a second baby, maybe a third, but your lifetime customer value is fairly short in a baby brand because they're just, you're not a baby for that long. People with dogs, dogs, you know, 12 years and then they get another dog and they're always going to be buying the same products over and over for not years, but decades. So the customer value in a dog brand is significantly higher than most other brands that have a much shorter customer timeline. So that's one of the other reasons why dog brands can be so great. Now that changes if you're if you're doing a dog brand just for senior dogs, for example, or just for puppies, that's different. That's a short customer timeline. But if you're doing a brand for pit bulls, you have people who love pit bulls that will only have pit bulls that will always have a pit bull. You've got that customer for 50 years, potentially. And people who go to buy your dog brand later know that. And they know that the customer list is more valuable than that of a baby brand, for example. Yeah. With dogs particularly, I feel like once you get your dog into a particular product, you don't switch products as much with dogs. They can mess with their stomachs if you change something that they eat. It can irritate their skin if you switch like a shampoo. And so once you get somebody and it works, you tend to not see people switch, which is awesome. Yeah. When you were creating your second, third, fourth, et cetera products, first question, was your first product your most successful product? And then how did you go about launching and testing your secondary products? My first product and second product were kind of neck and neck for my most successful. At one point, first product was the most, then the second took over. My first product was a dental spray. My second product was a anti-itch oatmeal shampoo. Now, so I'm, I'm not telling everybody, listen, let's go launch a dental spray and an anti-itch oatmeal shampoo. You have to differentiate. I did at the time. You got to come up with differentiated products. Before I launched the brand, I, I spent significant time planning things out. And I came up with a list of, I think, literally like 100 potential products. And then I narrowed that down to 20, narrowed it down to 10 and then of the 10 down to five. And then out of those five, I launched my first couple products. But I ended up launching you know, six of the things on my initial top 10 list. But it's a mix of market research and demand and keywords and all that, but also just knowing who your person is and what they buy next. It's not entirely necessary to be your own target market, but it certainly makes things easier. So for me, I'm like, okay, what do my dogs need? What am I currently buying that I think is not that great that I could improve on? And that really makes it easy. So, you know, I did a dental spray because they had bad breath. I did a shampoo 
you know, to keep them clean. And I wanted a really good smelling shampoo that helped with their, their itchiness too, because they had allergies. I did an anti-itch spray for like touch-ups to help them when they were having itching in between baths. And the anti-itch spray also had the same scent as the shampoo. So it was like a deodorant almost. I had an ear cleaner. I had an anti-chew spray. One of my dogs is a complete psychopath. So I had these calming chews that we were inspired by him. They got a different ingredient profile and different flavor profile. So a lot of my products were inspired by my own dogs, but I obviously did market research to make sure there was some demand there and make sure that what I'm releasing, while there are always going to be competitors, I have a clear difference. You don't want to release a Me Too product that's just indistinguishable, purely white labeled, indistinguishable from what's already on the market. You want to release something with a clear differentiating factor that is important to your ideal customer. Pivoting a little bit to after the the launch period, Mm -hmm. what were some of the things that you felt worked for you to really scale up, to get those next level sales, to get to seven figures of revenue Mm -hmm. that you think are actually replicable, whether it be in the pet brand or whether it be in any sort of space? And I'm assuming that a lot of that growth was still predicated on Amazon and Chewy. Yeah. The more sales you can drive and you can rank for keywords on on Amazon and Chewy, any marketplace, that certainly helps as far as what steps to take to do that. You know, you have things like Amazon PPC. I used a company called Quartile. They performed well for me for the handle on my Amazon PPC. So yeah, I mean, I, I built and sold my brand without ever running PPC myself. So you don't need to do everything yourself. And I bootstrapped it. I started my brand with $3,000 budget. You kind of build up to that point. One of the biggest things I attribute a lot of my brand's success for, I mentioned kind of the charity strategy earlier for, for product launch, but more than product launches, we did it to create user-generated content and get our customers to advertise for us. This is something I, I teach some of my, my coaching students, but I'll, I'll just give a higher level overview here. If you can get your customers to align behind a mission and then advertise for you, you're kind of off to the races. So we funded a lot of surgeries for dogs with cancer. And one of the things we would do, I actually wish I had one of my old products here to show you, but we would have an insert basically, but our insert was printed directly on, on the product itself. And it said, hey, send in a photo of your pet with the product you purchased, and we will donate a, a portion of the sale to an individual pet with cancer not just to a charity or to dogs with cancer, but to this specific pet with a story to get that emotional involvement in. And what we do is we'd get, and I hired a VA to handle these, but we'd get all kinds of photos from people of their pet with our products that was user-generated content. Like, oh, this is awesome. Can we share it on our social media? Great. Share it on your social media, tag us, et cetera. But what we would do is we would make a collage of the pet that we were donating to and their pet. And it was like pets helping pets. So we'd send that back and we didn't advertise that we would do that. So it was a surprise. So whenever somebody sent in a photo of their pet and then got that collage back, they thought that was so cool. They, a lot of them go share it on their social media, tag us. And all of a sudden, like you have this army of people that are out promoting our products, promoting our mission and encouraging other people to buy. So it was really the cheapest form of advertising you can do we're donating to charity, but we wanted to do that anyway. But we're getting all of these people advertising for us. Even if the product didn't work perfectly for them, if they're 
in line with what we stand for. They're a lot less likely to leave negative reviews. So I think it helped with that as well. They're a lot more likely to leave positive reviews. And it really just turned into this turning our customers into co-marketers. And it worked really well. You can do that in any niche. It doesn't need to be a dog brand. I mean, I've got a pretty good SOP on how to actually do this and practice on dog brands, but there's no reason you couldn't do it on any brand. If you have a, a brand for parents and your charity mission is you're funding an individual adoption or something, there's all kinds of things you can do. But I love the idea of building a business, building your financial wealth, but also making the world a better place at the same time and donating to charities that you care about. And then you can have a measurable impact on a certain person's life or on a pet's life, in, in my case, as opposed to just you know, hey, we, we donated to this charity and I don't know if it went to their coffee budget at their charity office or, you know, where you can see like a real difference that you're making. So I, I like that kind of pairing business with, with charity thing. Yeah, I like that as well. We don't have that in place at our brands. And that's something I'm literally going to start bringing up with people ourselves. It's something that actually is in our sort of vision of the company and we just haven't implemented it yet. But I really like the way that you've gone about it with the UGC and the sort of inbox purchases because it's fairly easy to execute. We're doing a lot of those inbox inserts anyways. And I can already see how the engagement with that insert would be better with a mission-based insert like that. So yeah, if nothing else, if I can encourage other people to make a a charity mission a part of their business and, and that can become more of a thing that'll make the world a better place. So like, even if that's all I do going forward, that, that'd be fantastic. So I, I always encourage every business owner I talk to to implement some version of that strategy of mine. One, because it's good for your business, but two, it literally does make the world a better place. And I think that's what we should all be about. Yeah, I think that aligns with a lot of entrepreneurs as well. It's just you getting motivated to put it together. So continuing down the the journey, were there any particular things that you did towards the exit that you specifically changed about your business to prep it for exit? Because I think you probably saw that coming down the road. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got to get your books in order, of course. Having really clear SOPs and video SOPs where you're doing screen recordings of everything where you can literally just hand off all your operations. I think is really important. But something else I did that I think made a big difference is have a carrot to dangle for the new buyers. And what I did is I had two new products ready to launch with the first, just a small, couple hundred units, just a small inventory order. So it didn't cost me a lot to do, but I had the next two products ready to launch and I purposely didn't launch those. So when I went to sell, I said, hey, you know, buyers out there, not only do we have this fantastic business that's built, here is the growth plan. And the first couple steps are already done. You just need to launch these two products. And then, you know, here's another list of some more you can do, but just having that ready and not just having that done for them so they can step in as the new owners and hopefully just hit go. I think that makes a big difference. So it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, having your next product ordered, but have some kind of carrot to dangle as an extra bonus for whoever buys your company. And that can get you a higher valuation. You want to have multiple people bidding against each other to buy your business. And making your business more appealing is going to help you in the long run for sure. 
Yeah, I think that goes for both sides of that transaction too, because it's not only the buyers, but it's also like your supplier, your supplier being bought into the new buyers in that transition of, hey, you two are going to work together and you've got these new products they're going to order from you. It's just going to create that reason for them to come out of the gates working on both of their growth. That's a brilliant idea. You could probably even push a little bit of an extended multiple because you're like, hey, I, I'm forecasting this as my revenue with these two products. Mm-hmm. You should be forecasting that as well. It's kind of a callback to what I said earlier, like in a product launch, have a clear differentiating factor that separates you from the competition. Same thing goes when you're selling your business. Have a clear differentiating factor that makes you more appealing than any other business they could buy. Like that little tweak, I I don't know, that might have cost me a couple thousand bucks to prep those products, but it probably got me an extra 50 to 100 grand. Yeah. And it doesn't even require that those products launch successfully. Right. Technically. Right. But it paints the vision for them, like you're giving them more value. I think that's a huge win. This is why we bring people on (laughs) the podcast to tell us about exits. This is brilliant. Yes. Yeah, I mean, little things like that, a lot of people wouldn't think that. So when I, when I think back, it probably got me an extra 50 grand. I think that's probably a realistic thing that that got. But that little tweak, if it cost me two grand, made me 50, that's a $48,000 thing that a lot of people wouldn't think to do. So these little tweaks you can make, you know, if you're following the right plan or have the right guidance or whatever, can pay off huge at the end of the day. Yeah. When we met, I was telling you about Tapped Market's mission with co-marketing, brands marketing with other brands. And I know this really connected with you. Oh, yeah. Were there any instances that you see that either in your own brand or some of the ones that you're mentoring now sort of working as well? And can you speak to it from any of your experience? You know, so I I do coaching in a group setting in the 1% and then one-on-one in dog brands. I may start a group thing just for dog brands and on my Some Dog Millionaires website. But in any case, whenever I'm talking to anybody I'm coaching, I'm always like, okay, who do you know or who can you find that is serving the same person but is not a direct competitor? They're your new best friend. Look for co-marketing opportunities there. Especially like in dog brands, some people are like, well, I, I'm scared because what if someday they want to launch the same product as me? It's like, that's the scarcity mindset. And you don't need to like marry your co-marketers. You know, you date for a while. You can help each other. If you're selling dog dental chews and somebody else is selling travel dog mats, be best friends. Interview each other on podcasts. Like do um, inserts in each other's products. Market to each other's email lists. Be affiliates for each other. All these kinds of things. That is such a slept on strategy. Every call I'm on with a student, I'm like, okay, what are the co-marketing opportunities you're not pursuing right now? Those can be huge dollar amount things. And you know, we talk about building an audience to launch a product to, you can also utilize other people's audiences. And that's a, a shortcut or a hack, or if you want to say that, like, yes, build your own audience, of course, but like you can also co-market and utilize other people's audiences as well. Perfect. You sold it. That's exactly right. That's the whole reason behind Tap Market is we want to make right. sure that these brands can find other brands raising their hand saying, I know I need to build my audience. I know you have an audience of buyers. I have an audience of buyers. Even if they're not the same amount of audience, there's plenty of ways to structure giving to that brand and then receiving, You know, whether it's through affiliate linking 
I, I look forward to working with more in the pet space alongside you and building out the tap market community so that they have a place to connect. Yeah, I think I told you this when we met in person. I love what you're building and I don't know anybody else who's building something like it. So it's your unique differentiating factor. And I think it's brilliant. And I love seeing that promoted in the business world. So yeah, thanks for letting me be a small part of that. And, and I'm glad we both have that mindset of it's not just this always fear-based competition. There's huge business cooperation that can happen that helps everybody grow. Absolutely. What's next for you? I know we've talked about I love the naming, the some dog millionaires. That's a great play on words. What's sort of your dream? What's coming down the pipe? Where do you see maybe that going or other stuff that you're working on going in the next few years? Yeah, I'm working on a lot of different things. I mean, I'm mostly an investor at this point. Uh, I do a lot of real estate investing. I've invested in other e-commerce brands. You probably know the, the capitalism fund. I'm invested in, in that. I do coaching for the 1%, but you know, some dog millionaires is relatively, I've been doing dog coaching without a name for a while, but I decided to put a brand to it. And I thought some dog millionaires was, was a catchy name. And I think you can build a business based on your dogs. And I, you know, I, I help some new people, but I think where I have the most benefit is helping people that already have a six figure business in the pet space, scale that to seven figures plus. So if you're doing 25 grand a month, but want to be doing 125 grand a month. I feel like I, I know the levers that can really help with that. Now I do help some startups that haven't launched their first product yet, but with some dog millionaires, mostly I'm doing one-on-one -on -one coaching. I may in the future, I put a possibly coming soon, like sign up list on somedogmillionaires.com for like a group coaching thing that I, I might do, but I don't have, you know, we're recording this, what is it? May 16th, 2023. I don't have like a set launch on when that would be. Right now, it's some dog millionaires is just one-on-one -on -one options, but th there may be a, a group thing at some point in the future. I think that's a great idea. You kind of put together that mastermind of of value in a niche. That's awesome. And you're in you're in the one percent, so you're working with some other brands as well too outside of the space. Right. So if anybody isn't aware, the one percent is Ryan Moran's training group, and it's fantastic. That's broken up to the grind, the growth, and the gold. I teach the growth section of that, and it's for all brands, not just pets. So I don't see some dog millionaires as a replacement or anything for the one percent. It's it's something totally different that would be an add-on. So the one percent teaches e-commerce in general and business building. Some dog millionaires is only for dog brands and is something that could be an add-on to other more traditional e-commerce coaching. Do you think there's any headwinds in the e-com space? Do you just see e-com just continuing to win market share over and over again? Do you see Amazon being the in perpetuity best way to launch a brand? Anything in the market that you're seeing new brands should keep an eye on? Chat GPT is obviously interesting and important to learn. Right. I talk about AI a lot in some of my coaching sessions, but it changes so quickly. I don't even know if it's worth talking about right now because by the time this podcast airs, it'll be so different. But yeah, you need to know about AI because it's going to, the train is here, either hop on or get run over by it. So you need to know about AI. That being said, a mistake a lot of people make that I see with utilizing ChatGPT too much or something is you can't lose your brand's voice. And a lot of people are, whether it's using AI or outsourcing to VAs or, or whatever, the content loses the brand's voice sometimes. 
your emails, your sales page, your Facebook posts, et cetera, should all sound like they were written by the same person. And whatever your brand's voice is, needs to be across everywhere your brand is seen. So that that's kind of a, an easy thing that is overlooked is, okay, I'm hiring this VA in the Philippines to do my Facebook ads. And I wrote the about us page on our website and I had chat GPT write this blog post and it all sounds discombobulated, especially in dog brands. Like you've got to speak dog and have a different type of marketing, but this, this is true in, in any niche. By all means, utilize AI, by all means, sit in the owner's chair and outsource things, but make sure your brand's voice stays consistent throughout. As far as like where the market is moving, sales platforms will, will evolve and all that, but I would say it's, it's more important than ever to niche down and have like the blue ocean uh, strategy. You don't want to make just another brand that's the same as anybody else's. If I ever personally, like I, I think I'm just going to mentor dog brands, but if I ever personally made another dog brand, I'd make a French Bulldog specific one that only caters to French Bulldog people because I have two French Bulldogs. I was talking to a guy that wants to make a Pitbull brand the other day. I'm working with somebody that's making a, a brand for allergy-free stuff. There's senior dog brands. There's people that have adopted a dog that had been abused. That is a completely different customer journey than somebody who gets a brand new puppy. So I'd niche down and have your own unique differentiating factor for your brand. And that, that's true whether it's in the, the dog niche or, or any other niche, but you don't wanna be a copycat brand. You wanna have your own personality, your own unique person you serve that you can speak to their specific needs and provide differences that are important to that specific person. I agree with everything that you just said. And uh, listeners will be listening to this going, yeah, I believe it. And then they will do the exact opposite. Guys, really just try to focus on that. Like, it is the key. It is, really is. You just got to do it and you got to believe it and you got to follow it through. And I can't emphasize what Chad just said is from experience. One thing I'll, I'll throw out there that will address a objection some people listening might have. The reason a lot of people don't do that is they fear the market's not big enough for their micro niche. So they think there's not going to be enough customers. And that's just not true. Some people I know built and sold a multi-million dollar business just serving people who suffer from dry eye syndrome. Travis and Jenna Ziegler are their names. Super smart, super nice, great people. Their brand was called I Love. But like you wouldn't think that's a big enough market to make a multi-million dollar brand off of. But they did. And they started launching a Facebook group where they just did Facebook Lives once a week. You know, they're both optometrists and they'd answer people's questions about dry eye. You'd think that's too small, but it's it's not. So if you have a passionate group of people who have strong needs that your products help with, your market is probably not going to be too small. Like there are people who have autoimmune disorders that will buy everything you sell if you have uh, a spice brand for people who suffer from autoimmune disorders. Like if you're having a dog brand, like I mentioned, if I ever did another dog, like Pets or Kids 2 was, it sold to all different kinds of dogs. But if I ever did another dog brand, it'd only be for Frenchies. And some people might think that's too small of a market. It absolutely is not. Don't be afraid to niche down. You know, there's... 350 million people in the U.S. alone, and you can sell to all these different countries as well. You need a tiny, tiny, tiny piece of the pie to have a million or multi-million dollar business. 
So that's just an objection that I know a lot of new entrepreneurs would have. So I just wanted to address that so people aren't afraid to actually take that advice. Yep. I like it. Everybody can work on niching down and getting that right. Chad, I have to thank you for coming on here. This has been a pleasure. You've given many nuggets of information that the audience can learn from. I hope to have you back. I hope we can get some more pet brands on here so they can all work together to do co-marketing. So maybe we'll have you back here even with some of them as you're mentoring them. Sure. I appreciate your time, bud. All right. Thanks for having me on. Hi there. If you found this podcast helpful, I would appreciate it if you took a minute to leave a review. This increases the reach to more entrepreneurs and other people interested in the products, brands, entrepreneurial stories, and their successes. So we can create even more positive small business outcomes. Take a screenshot, tag me in your social stories to friends. This means the world to me to know this podcast has influenced your day and life in a positive way and that we get to be a part of your own journey. With gratitude from me, until next time, go make it a great day.